All right. Hallelujah. I want to speak out of the book of Ruth, chapter 1. I'm just going to read. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, I think, but just a few verses. And then I just go along and keep on reading. From verse 1, I think, to 6. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to Saran into the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. The names of his two sons were Mahalion and Chilion, Ephraites from Bethlehem, Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wife. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived about there ten years. Then both Mahilian and Shilian also died, and the woman was bereaved of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law, that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord has visited his people in giving them bread. Now let me just jump there. Uh, let me read from verse 14 a little bit. And they lifted up their voices, Orpha and Ruth, and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after her. And Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Verse 20. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So now Naomi returned with her, the Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for the power of your spirit, for the anointing. I thank you for Yako and Catherine that you have chosen them to come here to Canada. Lord, to be an instrument in your hand to bring in the harvest, to sow the seed. And Lord, all we are in ministry is spiritual farmers, Lord. We cannot determine the outcome. All we can do is sow the seed and not get weary in sowing. You have to bring the sun and you have to bring the wind and you have to bring the rain so that the fruits might come and the harvest might come and the seeds won't die and I just thank you Lord that they're scattering seeds in this nation to affect the generation and the, and the nation and I pray oh God as you using South Africans all over the world wherever we go Lord that you using circumstances and situation to awaken us to a higher calling that 
that we might move into that purpose and destiny. And Lord, I thank you that you're breathing upon us. Bring the divine breath of God upon our dry bones. Awaken us like you awaken the dry bones in the valley, like Ezekiel. Lord, I thank you for the anointing which breaks every yoke, because it's not a lecture, it's not an understanding, it's an impregnation of the seed of divine calling of God to burst forth destiny and purpose in this hour and in this nation. So I pray, O oh Lord, that we come here just to strengthen the hands, to encourage the hearts to move forward into that. Lord, we only have that much time to give and that much time to live. Forgive us when we waste our time. Forgive us when we waste our moments. And Lord, let us know how precious it is to live for you. Father, I pray this in the most precious name I know in heaven and earth, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I love the book of Ruth, and one of the reasons I love it is because you see one little family, and you can recognize that every one of us are influenced by politics and economics and the pressures of life. And you can see here that one little family, they're living in the book of Judges. Now, the book, in the time of the Judges, it was very similar like today. Because many times you can see how you can see waves come, revivals come, revivals go. People are having destiny and purpose, and then some people just fall asleep. And forget what God has done in our life. And you know, I realize as I look at this, and we, the churches, yeah, not a congregation, the churches, you and I, how uh, nations or the churches affected in the nations we live and the environment we live and how we have to find our way in our culture, in our political situation and climate to understand what we are and who we are in this day and in this hour. And you know, I realize as I look at Elimelech and Naomi, now one of the things you can see here that there was a famine in the land. Now, a famine is very interesting when you think of a famine because uh, when a famine happens in our life, it means it's extreme scarcity of food, starvation, uh, you have a ravenous appetite and great shortage. Now, uh, America and Canada, I don't think you ever have lived in a natural famine. Now we know what the natural famine is because a famine will take over your thinking. It will take over your life. It will take over your lifestyle totally because I know when my dad, he was working, and Crystal's dad obviously, when he was working under Werner von Braun. Yet when the war came and the famine came, all the education didn't help, but his experience didn't help. His motivation was to feed us in an hour of famine. And that motivation totally took his mind and heart and soul that we wouldn't work. We would just, he would just go out to the farm, trade as things and shape things to, uh, to be able to eat. Now, you can see when a famine comes, it stops the flow. 
Now, the Lord promised us, and one of the key things that the Lord promised Israel, that they would come in a land not of survival to lay up food for tomorrow, but he promised a flow. A flow of something powerful. A flow of what? Of milk and honey. Now, milk speaks of abundance, and honey speaks of satisfaction. So what the Lord actually promised us, that there will be a flow of abundance that we don't work if it's the instinct of self-preservation to preserve life, but to yield our life as living sacrifices to what the Lord wants to do in our life and through our life. Now, I realize when a famine comes in the land, now, there's a famine, and I think in America and Canada, I think there's a famine. A famine of revelation, a famine of a flow. People are there, and we speak the instinct of self-preservation is dominating our thinking and dominating our life. And I can see when I go to Europe, we've been six weeks in Europe this year, and I realize at 40 years old, they're already worried about their pensions. And they're already working on their pensions 40 years old. The couples who are 20 and 30 years old and they have babies, they're already worried for the kids to have university money. And yet there's a socialistic system where everything is there. And yet the instinct of self-preservation does not give us freedom and liberty to walk by faith. Now, I realize what happened when there is a famine in the land, that that famine takes such a domination. Now, what does a famine do? A famine will create appetites, longings, desires in your life. Now, I know people who've been in concentration camps, when we smack the Bibles, they were in such a famine, they took years, hours and hours to talk about food they would never eat, to, to describe food they have, will never reach. And their whole life was in a, a surrounding of imagination, but not in reality. And when you look today, many of God's people have spiritual cookbooks, but we don't know how to cook it. Because the instinct of self-preservation overpowers who we are and what we are, and what God wants to do in our life. Now, I realize, I think, what does the famine do? Now, here's a little family living in Bethlehem, Judah. Now, you have to know Bethlehem is always a birthplace. It's a birthplace uh, where Jesus was born, David was born, where every great man was born. It's a house of bread. And you know, all of us, when we come to Christ, there has to come a birthing. You can never understand your destiny because you learn something up there or you read the Bible. There has to be an impregnation with the seat of the Father to birth forth a dimension which you cannot comprehend to religion or to effort, but to yielding for what God has in your life. And you see, I realize as Naomi and Elimelech, now you know that many of our decisions are not based just because you are alone and single. We are in a community, we are married, we have children, we have friends, we have a congregation or whatever. We are influenced by people around us and in us. 
And when you look at many our decisions don't come to inspiration, they come to influence. Because we're influenced in circumstances and in life. And we're influenced to make decisions which come against what God wants in our life. So you can see Elimelech. Now, where he moved what? He moved out of Bethlehem, Judah. Out of the birthing place. Which the prophets were prophesying hundreds and thousands of years before. He moved out. And he went into the land of Moab. Now Moab speaks of carnality. I'm not talking about the land. I'm talking about a lifestyle. Now Moab is the son of Lot. Now Lot traveled with Abraham as God had a great call. And he called him out of Ur Chaldea. And he walked with God and talked with God. And here's Lot. But one problem and he walks with it and he sees the blessing of God and he had only one problem. He walked with Abraham in the power and the promise, but he never called on the name of the Lord. He never brought his sacrifice. He just was there. He was enjoying the blessing. And today many of God's people enjoying the blessing without ever bringing sacrifice, without ever calling on the name of the Lord, without ever experiencing the fire, and without ever dealing with our ashes of our sacrifices. So here he is. And what happened? God saved Lot in an hour of judgment. But the instinct of self-preservation was so strong. And if last they got saved, Lot was born. Which means of, of Lot was used to produce Moab. is the son of Lot. Now, Moabites were not the nation God gave for Israel to conquer. They had to live with Moab. And you can see many of us, our carnality is not something we conquer. It's something we have delivered. Something we have to learn how to yield our carnality to the Spirit of God so He can move into and through our carnality to fulfill His destiny and His purpose. Now what happened is, here they moved out of Bethlehem, Judah. The instinct of self-preservation driving them into the land of Moab. Now what happens in Moab? When you're when you motivated, and I am motivated to preserve life and not to lose life. Now when you're motivated to preserve life, you know what Moab does? You read it in, in uh, uh, Jeremiah, or Isaiah 44, Jeremiah 48. But Moab speaks about how you, how you not poured from vessel to vessel. How you trust in your achievements and trust in your pride and trust in these things what you can accomplish and what you are and become in God as you preserve your life. And you can see as Elimelech and Shelian and Mahalion and, Ruth, and Naomi moves into Moab. Ten years they lived there to preserve life. Now you can see the instinct of self-preservation in the church is very strong because we use our revelations to create a lifestyle, but we never, cre- we never discover life. 
And you see, when we use our revelation to create a lifestyle, you will always preserve even what you think is spiritual and fight for the thing. God has given it and we don't know what it is to lose our life. So we gain it. And you can see the struggle in the church in Canada and America, in Europe. You can see how God is squeezing us in these days in the life we create ourselves because we are afraid. We, we, don't, we don't know how to live with scarcity. We don't know how to live with hunger. And you know what it says? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Now, if you have an instinct of self-preservation, you don't eat out of hunger. You eat out of pleasure. Many of us, we don't eat because we are hungry. We eat because we eat three days a meal. You understand? So you can see how our life is formed, not because of God's revelation in our life, but because of what? Because we live a mob. We preserve who we are. We preserve what we do. And you know, the Lord gives us something. I say, Lord, when I get to heaven... He's talking about being rich in heaven, laying up treasures in heaven. I realize that many of us, we don't know how to lay treasures in heaven. I think many of us, we will come before God, there will not be one treasure in heaven. Now how do I lay treasure? Don't lay up treasures and will rust and moss, dust corrupt, and the thieves break through and steal. Lay treasures up, for no thieves can get it. No rust can corrupt it. And I said, Lord, I realize how many of us are poor. Poor. We we don't know how to become rich. Now, how, he said, the poor spirit stares as the kingdom. And I realize, oh Lord, what do I do to become rich in heaven? And I know that I have to get out of Moab. Out of my instinct of self-preservation to preserve who I am and to start to understand what it means to lose a life. Now here it is, what? Ten years they live in Moab. Ten years is a decade. Ten years of Naomi and Elimelech who has the great name, my God is king. And he produces two sons who are weak and sickly. Who have no ability to produce life. Who have no ability to change Moab. Moab changes them. Now if you're weak and sickly, you will never have the ability to change Moab, your flesh. Your flesh is going to change you. It's going to kill every desire within you. It's going to take away your ability to bring sacrifice and to yield your life as living sacrifice. It will do that. It will totally do that. Now hear what happened. Three of them, Elimelech, Mahalian, and Shelian died. And Naomi has an experience of what? Of three, two weddings and three funerals. She experienced what all of us experience in our life, the sorrows and the joys of life. And here, what does she do in these times of 10 years living in Moab? Has she, has she left it because of her sorrow and the dryness of her life? And she created a lifestyle where she would defend what they are. And I really know how many of us have laid the dreams. I can tell you how many 50-year-olds I met. I knew them in the 20s 
who have died, their dreams have died, and life has taken over and wore them out. Men of women and vision who've been in church and had revelation and goosebumps and the Holy Spirit is there. They look warm today because life has done something to them. Disappointed in marriage, disappointed in family, disappointed on so many levels. And when you get disappointed, what happens? Every one of us has to deal with disappointment because disappointments will make you dry. And if you cannot deal with your disappointments in your life, they're going to kill you, the disappointment. They're going to squash out the very thing. Your dreams are going to be buried with Mahalian and Chilean. Your dreams are going to be buried with Elimelech. Now here she is, Naomi. And one day after 10 years, no children, fruitless, no grandbabies, sons die. The husband dies. One day she hears. What? She hears how the Lord is visiting the people and giving them bread. Now, I ask you, what happens? How do you receive faith? How do I get faith? Now, faith you don't get to prayer. Faith you get to hearing. The word has to open my perception so that I hear, not with my natural ear, with my spiritual ear, that I hear things man cannot explain and man cannot learn. Man, I have to conceive it by the divine impartation of the Lord. Now, what she hear? She hears how the Lord visits his people in giving them bread. What? I, I listened to a sermon somebody uh, sent us from an Israeli man. Now he's talking about the end days and the systems of the uh, Europe. How the systems in Europe are rising up to become the platform of the Antichrist. And then he talks about the church. But he doesn't know about the church because he didn't been in a church he just saw the church from outside in. And he said, Europe has no hope. And he doesn't know what we've been in there. That one church alone in Europe. The pastor we know very well. I go there every year. God gave them a revelation. In Europe, they got together with some farmers. And they, they gave them a greenhouse as huge as you can imagine. And suddenly they had the inside. How are we going to reach the Germans? How are we going to reach this generation? And they put thousands and thousands of dollars into to build in that greenhouse a replica of Israel. To the time of Jesus was crucified. The last supper, the betrayal over Easter. They took the whole churches from Germany and made them actors. There were 70 Jesus playing the crucifixion from morning to night to for, for 14 days. So 70 Peter, 70 Pauls, 70 disciples. They, they did not spare one penny. You would think that you transformed and transported in the time of Jesus. Here's how many people came in two weeks, 17,000. 17,000 Germans, foreigners, came to see that instant. 
5,000, 8,000 took papers to know more about Jesus. They never even knew about Jesus. And what is God doing? He's calling, visiting his people in Europe and giving them bread. They're coming back out of Moab. They have to, the church has to come out of Moab. We have to come out of our instinct of self-preservation and understand what? How to lose life. Now, what, what do you have to do when uh, every one of us, we have to return. Now, le- let me just uh, show you what it means to, to return. Now, first of all, now Amy had to rise, rise up from what? From our graves. Now, many of us, we can leave our graves. That's where our memories are. I, I, you know, my grandpa, I, I, I don't know if he said it or my dad used to tell me. I have a certain feel about somebody dead when I die. I don't care. I, I said to David, wherever I die, bury me. You don't have to drag my body all over the world to make me. Give me a funeral. Just bury me where I drop. Bury me. I don't know if my kids would do it, but I, that's what I would do. <laughs> Just doesn't matter. I know, I know what happened. He said, when my grandpa, my grandma died. Now, we were little. They were old. We didn't have a real relationship with them in the sense uh, that we related with them because they were old when we were little. And they were consumed with the lifestyle. When I remember my grandma telling stories, but when my grandpa died, my grandma died, my mother and father would tell my opa, Opa, why don't you visit Oma? Bring her some flowers. We have buried her. You don't go to the grave. What's the matter with you? He says, no. I'm not going to the grave. She's not in there. Why should I visit that old stinky buddy? That's just, the, that is nothing. I'm not going to visit that old grave. My Oma is alive. She is alive. She's alive. And you know, it's just one sentence. But yet it had such an impact in my view that I, I mean, that I never would sit on anybody's grave and weep. Because that is not what Christianity is all about. Because Jesus was resurrected out of the grave. And you and I, now we know, and some of us what happened, we sit and we weep over the things in our graves we are buried. Not physically. But our memories are so strong that they don't allow us to move on. That our memories keep us to weep over our sons who did not become what we dreamt they would be. Over our husband who did not live as long as he should. And we stay there. Because our memory is stronger than our desire to move forward. Because you have to leave, let loose and cut the navel cord of the things which makes you settle. And you don't believe how many of us, we are not walking, we're settlers. We settle on the graves of our life where we have buried our hopes and buried our love and buried our desire. And we don't move on, we just weep about it. Now, when she arose, she arose, you know what that means? To be established, to raise up. To confirm, to confill, fulfill, to carry out, to restore, to bring to bad, 
to prior state. Now what she have to do, she has to arise to come back. Now you tell you something, returning is powerful. Now to return, every one of us, to return means what? To go back and start and practice or conditions and in repentance. Now hear what she had to do? She had to return. Now some of us, we never return. What is the returning in your life? Now when you look at Abraham as God, I'm just going to use you as some example. Abraham had to powerful encounter with God as he built the altar and God became not the God of Abraham but of Abraham. Now when the famine came, what happened? He's the same as us. He went to Egypt. And what happened in the famine? The instinct of self-preservation was so strong that he sold out Sarah. He was ready to release Sarah because he loved her but the instinct of self-preservation was so strong. Now they used to tell us in the wartime that some of the fathers, when the people were starving in Russia under the Soviets, that the people would tell me who were preaching at the time as I was preaching in the 70s to give their testimony. They would tell us how they had to lock up their own dads because the dads was going to butcher the kids to eat. I mean, it sounds horror, but yet we do that. We kill our own babies to preserve our lifestyle. We abort anything to preserve our lifestyle. And you see, what happened is some of us, we have given up things to preserve our lifestyle. So what did Abraham, imagine Abraham, he just had an encounter with God, the fire of God, the power of God. And here he is giving Sarah over to Pharaoh. Because his instinct of self-preservation. Now what did Abraham have to do? He had to return, you read it. He returned to his first altar. He had to return to his first encounter. He looked at Isaac, he did the same thing. He, famine came, he went into the Philistines' land. And he was giving up Rebekah. The love of his life. He worked, he waited for all his life. The instinct was so strong that he would release the love of his life. Where he had to go. He had to go back to the first altar. You read it. He had to come back to the first encounter. So he could come back to Bethlehem, Judah. You look at Isaac. Now look, let me show you something else. Here is Abraham. Now, Abraham, how do we prove that we love God more than anything? How do you know? I mean, how do you know? I love Jesus so much, but how do you know you love him more than your wife? How do you know you love your wife more than yourself? What did it say? Your wife, you should love you like your own body. Obviously, they didn't. They loved themselves more. Get rid of the wife if I have to live. Now, how do I know? Why did God test Abraham? You know how faithful Abraham was. Now, what makes my love visible? Not the intensity of emotion. A human has only that much emotion. It's not the intensity of my feeling. It's my choices. If I choose what I love. That, and what did, what did Abraham do? That's why the Lord says, come on, Abraham. Shoes. Now you look at Jacob. Let me go there first. 
Jacob has a great encounter with the Lord as he ran from Esau and Esau is ready to kill him. And he lays his head on a stone. And he sees the angels coming up and down and the glory of God is revealed. And he gets up and he says, Lord, if you look after me, if you bless me, if you anoint me, if you take care of me, I promise you I come back here and I'm going to make it a place of holiness. He comes back after 20 years. God made him rich, blessed him. And you read it. And Jacob comes to Sikkim. And he doesn't return to Bethel. He stays. They say Bible scholars believe he came 12 years in Sikkim in a promised land. But he didn't return. He didn't return of his first encounter. He didn't return of his first love in his life. No. He stayed 12 years. And in his 12 years, Dinah was raped in the promised land. Levi and Simeon that betrayed him and became killers. And Jacob says, let not my heart come into the council. They're cruel. And after that, God said what? Now get rid of your idols. Return to Bethlehem. Return where I have encountered you. Now you look at another one called Abraham. As he made the choices to sacrifice Isaac. Imagine that. Moriah. Do you know that David had to go to that place years and years later? He had to return to the same place to buy the sacrifice or the place where Samuel's temple was built. The same place where Isaac was sacrificed. Now what did David do? David's instinct of self-preservation rose and he wanted power. He forgot how to yield his life. And he said, I'm going to count Israel. I'm going to see my power. I'm going to see my strength. And he counted it. Now you can't count Israel. You can't see how strong you are. But he had to bring a balance. And the balance was that he had to pay a half a shekel redemption tax. It says, if you count how great you are, you're going to bring an offering. Everyone has to bring a half a shekel and it's going to go into the temple to buy the clothes, to buy the sacrifice. Because service and power have to go together. You cannot be powerful when you don't serve. But Jesus was powerful because he served. He came not to be served. He came to serve. And you see what happened. As the angels stood over heaven and earth. As a judgment. And 70,000 people were killed. What did David do? As he chose to fall into God's hand. As he chose to give up his power as a husband. And his power as a king. And he says, I'm going to fall in God's hand. Because his mercy is bigger than man's. What did he have to do? He went up to Mount Moriah. He returned to the place of sacrifice. And there what did he do? As they wanted to give him the sacrifice. They came, they wanted to, to stop the judgment. The farmers came, they said, here I give you the money. I give you the wood. I give you the offering. Just please stop it. And what did David say? He said, I don't give anything but doesn't cost me anything. He had to return to the place of what? 
of paying a price. He had to go to Moriah. And that place which Isaac was sacrificed, that became the place where they, Solomon built the temple. Well, God's glory was manifested. God's riches was manifested. God's power was manifested. Listen, you look at the seven churches, and this is what the Lord says to the church of Ephesus. I know you have revelation. I know you have endurance. I know I have seen what you are. But if you don't return to the place of your first love, I'm going to take your light. I'm going to take your lampstand. I'm going to take away your ability to see clearly. And I believe today in my heart that it's not something we go forward. We cannot go forward. And anyways, if we don't return to Bethlehem, Judah, if we don't leave the graves of Elimelech and Machalian and Chilean, if we no longer preserving our lifestyles, but we return to the place of first love, to the place of the power. Now what did Naomi scream when she came to Bethlehem, Judah? They all stood up. They said, is it not Naomi? Imagine she comes back after 10 years. What she say? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Full went I out. But empty did I return. Now what happened? Well, you know what it says about Moabites? It says that the Moabites been never from his youth up and never poured from vessel to vessel. Now, how do you become pure? When you live in the instinct of self-preservation, you don't want to give up anything. You want to keep it. That instinct is so powerful. You don't want to lose. You're going to gain. You will do anything to keep it. And it says that. Moab. But never poured from vessel to vessel. Well, how do you think you become pure? You, don't, you can't make yourself pure just because you're in sin management and you don't do things. You never be pure like that. Purity, God, has to be poured from vessel to vessel with a settlement. But you think you're so pure, you don't even know what's in there. You, some, sometimes the crises come out and the some save, some, what meek lions become like roaring wolves. Why? It's made how circumstances can change you. How precious in your life can direct you. Why? Because what happens is, if it says Moab, from his youth on, he's never born for poured from vessel to vessel. He doesn't want to let loose. He preserves, keeps, holds. And you know, when the Lord comes and he says, flesh he's going to destroy. He says he's going to destroy Moab because they've been proud, living in their achievements, living in what they can do. Now here, what is my returning to do? When I return, I'm poured out. My things which happen, I'm poured out. And as I become poured out and I become empty, you will see the settlements. And you have to have new water come in to be, be able to be poured out again. 
from Vesa to Vesa. And you see this returning, it's a pouring out from Vesa to Vesa. And I can realize that the pure in heart shall see God. The purity makes you understand things you don't understand. How many of us, we don't have no understanding when the mud of our carnality is blinding our lives. And when we try grope in our forks of carnality to find God's answer and to find God's purpose and to find God's way. Now how can I be poured out from vessel to vessel? That God can deal with me and can fulfill his destiny never in Moab. I always have to backtrack. I have to return. Return from my disappointments, from my hurts. Return from my unfulfillment. Come back to the first place of my encounter with the Lord, what the Lord done and what he does in our life. And you know, I think to the Lord, how do we deal with the bitternesses of our life? You see, so many of us, we don't know what fellowship is, and I think you do. But I go to many churches in America, they don't know fellowship, they're just church buddies. They eat together, and then they go home. And they know, The mega churches are not fellowship churches. They are just a group of people who are buddies. Mega church buddies, people who believe in a star that shines for them on Sunday morning to enlighten their life so they can make it from Monday to Saturday. Now, how what is fellowship? How do I eat and partake? You cannot partake of each other when I'm bitter because bitterness will make you spit. And you see, what the Lord does, he takes our bitter lives because what does he promise me? A flow of honey. Honey is sweet. Honey speaks of satisfaction. Honey speaks of fulfillment. That's why today when you look at the China, Chinese churches, uh, I was watching on YouTube yesterday. They, the pastor went there and he says to the people, uh, uh, comes to the underground church. He said, what? How long you want me to preach? They, they say from 7 to 8.30 at night. 7 to 8.30, they're meetings in caves, lasting 12 hours. Why? Because they're so hungry. They don't have Bibles. They said, what should I preach on? The whole Bible. Preach. <laughs> Why? Because there's hunger and a desire. And they, they infiltrate communism and socialism. And they come and God gives them a vacancy and insight. That whatever. They say, well, every minister, their Bible school training is in jail. Five years, three years, four years. How can you do that? Only you have to have a different thinking, a different mindset, a different understanding. And I realize how America, and I don't know much about Canada, but what I feel, that uh, uh, the church is going to come to a place of awakening, of where God will breathe into our dry bones. To make us fulfill our destiny and our purpose. 
for such a time as this. What she said, call me Mara. Bitter I am. Fluent I am. Empty that I return. Listen, to be empty is not always a good experience. Empty of who you are and what you think you are. Empty of your ideas of people. Empty of ideas of church and ministry. and I don't know what all. To be empty, it's a process. It's a bitterness. And how does the Lord, I said, Lord, how do you take my bitter life and make it sweet? So that a flow comes. A flow who Christ is. I don't have to talk about it. I become an interpreter in my lifestyle of who he is. And I realize, mirror, I preached it here. Mirror is better. But God takes us with his fire and he takes our bitter lives and he makes an aroma out of it to stimulate taste buds and to create desire which I cannot give you to persuade you. Jacob can preach till he's blue in the hat. He will never change you. You can never make anybody spiritual. I mean, I've seen pastors who have nervous breakdown because they try so hard to make the congregation spiritual. And eventually they became casualties of their trying, of what they are, because they can't. Nobody can persuade you to do anything. No one. Well, what she do? She heard something. She heard how the Lord visited his people and giving them bread, and it was worth a journey. It was worth coming back to leave everything. But she had an impact in Moab because Ruth Orpha obeyed her. She says, stay here, I have nothing to give you. Now, many of us wouldn't go if you don't get anything. Why would I go with you, old woman? You have nothing to give me. Why should I go? I'll stay with the Moabite. I get the other hand to Moabite and get married and create Moabite children. Why did she stuck with that old woman? She says, whether thou goes, I could go. You know how many times she uses the marriages? Much more than marriage. Where you go, I go. Where you do, I die. You die. Where you buried, I'm buried. Why? Because Naomi awakened something within Ruth. Imagine she became the great-grandmother of David in Bethlehem, Judah. Imagine that. A Moabite. And you know when you study the book of Ruth, it's amazing. As Ruth comes into the field, and I'm quitting, but when you come into the field, field speaks of enlargement. How do you get enlarged that you're bigger than a Canadian? Or me as a German? How do I get enlarged? Do you know how God had to enlarge me? When I was called, there was hard, no woman preacher. You couldn't do anything as a woman in Germany. My dad even said, what are you going to buy a school for? You waste your time. Woman can't do nothing. Now, how do you think what God does? He enlarges your thinking. He stretches you. He puts you in situation where you can, the circumstances are so big that God stretches you, he stretches your thinking, he stretches who you are and what you are because he takes you into the field. His field speaks of enlargement. Now what does he do in the field? What's the first thing I have to recognize? What, what, when do I come into the kingdom? 
When do I enter out of Bethlehem, out of Moab, into Bethlehem, Judah, into Israel, into the kingdom? Into the kingdom. How? What does it say? The poor in spirit. There shall be the kingdom. What's a poor in spirit? What did Ruth have to do? She did not try to be with the high class. She went and she gleaned. She picked up weeds, grain, which they left behind. She was like a poor woman. And what did she do in the poverty of her life? She didn't look for money. She looked for favor. When you're poor in the spirit, you don't look for recognition. You look for favor from the Lord. Anything you do, you cannot do anything. As church, we can't do anything. You can be a prime minister. And I have limitation. What is the Lord doing? What does he have to give the church? Favor. Recognition. Power. How do I get recognition and favor and power? Being poor. Having nothing. Naive. She was a widow woman. She lost her husband. She was a barren woman. She had no children. She lived with the old lady. She has to feed that lady. What was the key? You look at it and you study the word, you can see one thing. She stayed in the field. She didn't look for opportunities. She stayed. She stayed. She didn't do it. She stayed in the field. She stayed in it. And as she stayed in, two things happened. Boabs, which is a type of Christ, came to her and he did two things. He comforted her and he spoke kindly to her. He set her free. And you see, when you stay in the field and you serve the Lord, you will never make it if you don't comfort it. And if you don't allow the Spirit to speak kindly to you, you know what that means? His words speak righteous you in the inner man, into your mindset, into your life, into what you are. And you can see how Ruth had the ability to lay to Boaz's feet. And he covered her. Now you know what the transformation is in the book of Ruth. You can study it. To the whole book of Ruth, she was called Ruth the Moabite. That carnality. And Moabite could not enter God's presence. It could not enter into the temple. Ruth the Moabite. But as she lay to the feet of Boaz, she went to the process washed herself, anointed herself. Naimi gave her advice. She was awakened. She said, lay down at your feet, at his feet. And he asked her, as it was night, Ruth, not even Ruth, who art thou? She said, I am Ruth, your handmaiden. She never said once anymore. She's a Moabite. She was what? transformed as she returned with Naomi. And you know, it doesn't matter if you're Canadian, American, South African, all kinds of methods, how we reach the church, how we preach, but in the end, it's all the same. 
It's a process God will do in every one of our lives. We have to return from the graves of Moabites and to return to the place of our first encounter so God can do what? Fulfill his purpose and destiny in our lives. And you know, I thank God for Canada, what God does here. In your church, I don't know. I don't go to many churches here in Canada. But he has his people everywhere. He has his chosen everywhere. And we may be all on different levels. But his purpose has never changed. His destiny. You're born. You're here for a reason. I don't know what made you come. Persuasions. Because they're different than other pastors. I don't know. Why are you here? What your purpose is? Maybe you're just here for years and years and years. I don't know. Or you're here because God has a place of returning. He has a plan for Canada, for this generation, for this nation, for this time. You're part of it. But you cannot do it staying in Moab. You cannot do it. Let the instinct of self-preservation rule your life. The only way I know how to put my treasures in heaven and become rich in God is to give. To give of myself, to give of my time. I say, God, I don't want to come to heaven and be poor. Imagine you come to heaven and you're poor. You're saved, no doubt. But you never understood that your giving is not just giving to a ministry, the giving of your time. How else can you do it to release what you are? And you can see how many times we don't give. I'm not talking money, life. Because the instinct of self-preservation keeps us, holds us. We live more up. And we don't want to be poured from vessel to vessel. We are happy. And the mug settles, and we think we're spiritual because we can't see what's in our hearts and in our lives. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this wonderful congregation, for this wonderful people. I thank you for Yaakov and Catherine, that you have brought them here. <laughs> Imagine, we didn't even look for them. You made us find them, or they found us after all these years. And Lord, I thank you for young men and young women who are rising up in this day to understand your destiny and your purpose way beyond the religion and ideas that we create. I thank you for this church, for every man and every woman, young and old. Because there's a reason you have this group of people here at that time and in this moment of time. And Lord, time is strange. But Lord, one day when there is no time, we will see still the Cairo moments you have brought in our life to change directions and help us to make decisions and rise up, Lord, in this day and hour to understand why you sent your son, Father, 
And that you're yet ready to prepare the bride for that son who died for me so I can live with him and have his being and know his power. And Lord, I pray that today some of my brothers and sisters in their minds, in their hearts, in their lives will return. Lord, maybe the instinct of self-preservation has brought them to Moab, to trust in their achievements, to trust in their money, to trust in their education. But Lord, you said that Moab will be thrown over. I pray, oh God, it doesn't mean we don't work and we don't eat, but our priorities change. Will we return to our first loves, Lord? Will we refill, pay a price? Will we not ready just to get everything free? But will we be willing to sacrifice, to experience that fire one more time, to smell that aroma one more time, to feel that, feel that heat one more time in our lives? Lord, I pray that you do something deep in us. Help, Naomi. You delights who have become bitter maras. She said, Lord, full went I out, but empty did I return. You had to empty her of everything to make her the grandmother of Obed. To be a part of your plan and a part of your purpose. So I pray today. Bless this congregation and the people and touch their lives in Jesus' name.